A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Cimmerillion Stories, where the lore hounds your guides to Tolkien's world of Middle-earth. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our podcast for Of Aule and Yavanna, the fourth story of the Silmarillion. In this episode, we'll be discussing the origins of dwarves and Ents, the mercy of Eru, and the marital troubles of the Valar. Before we get started, a quick reminder that you can send us feedback to lotr at thelorehounds.com, and we'll get to those questions in the next episode. Episodes are going to be released about once per month towards the end of the month. If you're enjoying our coverage of the Silmarillion or any of the shows we're covering, and you'd like to support us directly, head over to patreon.com slash the lorehounds and subscribe today for early and ad-free access to every episode for as little as $3 a month. Of course, you can always find all our ad-supported episodes on our public feed. Just search for the lorehounds in your podcast application of choice. And another quick ask, please, if you've got a moment, rate and review the podcast, if you feel so moved. Ratings and reviews really help other people find the podcast, which, of course, helps us make more podcasts. This month, we're covering The Last of Us on HBO, and starting March 1st, we're covering The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus. but we'll get more into that in the outro. So one last sort of note before we get into the episode, if you have been with us from the beginning... You'll know that we were formerly published by another podcast network, Bald Move. As of February, we've gone independent. We're forever grateful to Bald Move for helping us get our start in podcasting. Since we began, we've grown and have creative ambitions that make more sense if we're able to publish ourselves. So, with Bald Move's support, we've made the move and are now fully independent. In the last few weeks, we've gotten all of our technical issues behind us, and that should be seamless for anybody who's listening. The only noticeable changes you might be hearing is in our programming notes and other podcasting and our podcasting schedules. All right, David, I think it's time to get into our overall thoughts on the reading. You're the first time listener, so you always get to go first. What's going on? I have to say, of all the things that we've read so far, this has been my favorite chapter. Really? Yeah, it was a very clear and simple story. It wasn't... um, you know, very, it, it wasn't ethereal and, and sort of big and, you know, and then God created the universe type of stuff. It was a very relatable story with Aule and his creation. And then like having Eru like, yo, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he's like, nah, don't worry about it, bro. I got you. You know, and like that whole sort of back and forth was was fun. I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. 
And then um, reading about uh, Ivana and her creations and how she like was trying to go around Manway and and get some protection set up, but not like out Aule. Like all of that was relatable, um, enjoyable. It was beautifully written, and uh, it was really straightforward. And I just felt like I got such a deeper and more, I got a, a, an increased depth to my understanding in, in how the world is was created, and then my appreciation for how dwarves were created or where ants came from and all of that kind of stuff. I just, it's like, wow, this is really cool. I'm, I'm super enjoying it. Very nice. I mean, I agree with you. If you strip away all the thous, then it is a pretty simple story. It, yeah, it is. And I, 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 I read it, and then I listened to the audio uh, several times, the, the audio uh, version. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I just dug it. I thought it was really cool. You know, I'll plug that again. If you are struggling through this material and it's your first time going through it, the audiobook is excellent. It really brings it to life. And you're obviously into audio mediums because you're listening to a podcast right now. So <laughs> definitely give that a shot if you're struggling through it. It really will help you push through. I've, I've used it at times uh, to reiterate things that I've already read, things like that. So uh, definitely, I'm glad you brought up the audiobook because it's a great uh, listen. It, it's a very, I was just going to uh, add on, tail on to the audio thing. It's very theatrical as well and very like, outlay is, benef- you know, magnificent, you know, whatever. It's just like this really. <laughs> Uh, I feel like I was watching a Shakespearean stage. The fun thing the other day, I had to uh, drop off our, our kid at uh, um, a class thing, and I went for a little walk along the river, one of the rivers in our town, uh-huh. and the sun was you know, setting and streaming through the trees, and I'm listening to this deep voice baritone read Tolkien, and <laughs> it was really, a really nice experience. Very fun. Right, yeah. It's, uh, it's really nice. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a great, simple story. I think it hits on a lot of themes that are very Tolkien-centric, mm-hmm. and I am looking forward to jumping into it. So I think let's save the rest of our thoughts for this recap. All right, let's go for it. So you structured this. I, I wrote it, but you structured it in Of Ale and Of Yavanna. I, I, I know you pointed out that the chapter is basically structured that way anyway. There's a little bit of an overlap, but in, in general, it goes to Auli and the dwarves and then Yavanna and the Ents or whatever, uh, whatever else she's worried about. So why don't we start off in that order? So let's start with Aule. So Aule is a smithing vala. We've talked about him before. He's a very powerful guy. He's uh, the vala that's attached to the Maiar uh, Sauron and Saruman. So he's uh, very powerful in the, in the people that he keeps company with, at least originally. They branch off eventually. But Aule is a smithing vala, and he is anxious to teach his craft to something other than himself. So he creates the seven fathers of the dwarves and animates them with his own will. Yeah, I, I, I was really interested to learn the creation of the dwarves, because, I mean, obviously, as just being a service-level fan, I knew that there was a different origin for them, but I didn't understand what exactly happened and how it transpired and, and why uh, there is the difference between the dwarves and the other races of men and, and of elves. Right. So that was cool to learn, and I think... I, I really was digging on this whole thing. Now, in you know, Tolkien uses a very uh, gendered set of pronouns, you know, son to father sure. kind of stuff. You can just think of parent. Um, and as a as a child to the parent, 
the child copying the parent, it's not mockery. Uh, it's, it's a pure form. I mean, it's part of what we do as human beings, right? We model behavior. And I think that's been a big deal for our generation of parents is that we really understand that um, modeling for our kids is a really good way to help them develop skills uh, to navigate the world. And so, you know, they imprint off of us. And so here's Aule going, yo, dude, I'm just, you know, I'm your kid. You're creating the world. I want to emulate that because that feels good and that feels natural. And oh, by the way, you made me a kind of person that wants to make things. So I I made some stuff, right? (laughs) I think that you can absolutely see Tolkien trying to justify his own work in this. Right. Oh, really? That's an interesting Tolkien yeah. sees himself as a sub-creator, yes. and he does not want to exceed the bounds of what he believes is proper within Catholicism, mm-hmm. what he believes is proper under a real creator. So his job, he thinks, is to be a sub-creator in a way that honors the creation mm-hmm. of the universe by the God Almighty, the Abrahamic God. Right. And this, in the same way, he's having Aule launch this defense of, well, sure, I created these people. And you know what? If you tell me to, I'll destroy them right now. But I did this out of love for your world. I did this so that there's more beings in this world to love your creation. And mm-hmm. I did this because you put this desire in my heart. Yeah. And, and I was, I was, Thinking that Eru's, I mean, like, uh, I was going, is Eru kind of a jerk here? Going like, oh, what have you done here? Oh, psych, got you, buddy. And then, like, he sort of makes him fess up to it a little bit and, you know, raise his hammer. And I don't know if he's testing him. What was the biblical story where somebody had to bring their child up to the sacrificial mountain? Yeah, let's Um, talk about it, because let's not make the mistake of uh, assuming all of our listeners are familiar with Abrahamic traditions. Right, yeah. So the binding of Isaac is is what people generally refer to it as, and that is the story of... So Abraham takes his son Isaac, who is his first, like, true-born son. There's some hazy stuff about that, so let's not get too deep into that. (laughs) But... Abraham takes his son Isaac uh, to this mountain because God says, hey, you know what? I need to know that you're in this for real. I need to know you have skin in the game. So I want you to take your son Isaac and sacrifice him to me. So Abraham convinces his son Isaac that uh, they'll find a sheep there. You know, God will provide the sheep. Uh, God will provide the lamb. And he takes Isaac to the, the altar. He's, he binds Isaac and he's about to sacrifice Isaac, but just as he's, you know, bringing the blade down, God replaces Isaac with a, an animal sacrifice. And there are a lot of interpretations of this, especially when you look at Jewish theology, because, all right, so like the, the traditional thing that people think is, okay, well, the idea was Abraham had to show he would have done anything. He would have even sacrificed his son for God, Right. Right. But that's not universally held. Some of the beliefs say that Abraham failed the test, that Uh Abraham should have said, God, you taught me that this is wrong because you put that in my heart, and therefore I'm not going to do this. Uh But instead, he failed and just listened to the, the letter of the law. Right. So that's an interpretation. There's a third interpretation that is that Abraham truly believed that God would not let it happen, and that as long as he followed God's instructions, God would save Isaac. Right. He would, there'd be some sort of miracle, stay in his hand or, or what have you, which I think right. is the, what we got, right? 
Sure, right. And I think that that may be what Tolkien is saying here. Uh-huh. As far as his interpretation of this, if we are making an allegory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so from a modern context, right, I'm, I'm a modern person and I'm looking back on, on this text and, and I could understand where uh, Tolkien himself or, you know, going back further, God, almighty, all-powerful, grovel before, right? You know, he says jump, you say how high, that kind of, that whole vibe. Right. But in my context today, I look at that and I go, yo, dude's a jerk, man. Like, that's just a mean thing to do to somebody. Wait, you want to test my love and my faith by having to place my child on the sacrificial stone and, you know, raise a knife to them? Or in Aule's case, you know, he's going to smite them with his hammer. And, sure. you know, obviously with a cry in his heart, he's just like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't really want to do this, but, you know, you're, you're the creator, you're the big guy, I gotta, I gotta do what you, you say. And then in the text, at least in, in the Silmarillion stories, or in the Silmarillion, um, Eru says, oh, well, even as you made your offer, I had already accepted it. So I, I kind of knew from this very moment. But I kind of let you go a little bit further and feel something. And I think that's just kind of where the jerkiness is. Again, from a modern context, judging, you know, the creator God uh, in this way, it's just kind of, it's kind of rude. You know, it is something that I'll question is, did Eru ever tell him to destroy his creation? No, he just kind of looked at, or I mean, I headcanon, you know, he, he just looked at him sternly. He didn't really say anything. It seemed like Eru was like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And then Aule kept tripping over his own words and yes. saying, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess I'll just solve this now. I, 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 don't worry. I got my hammer. It'll be fine. Uh, it, <laughs> it seems like Aule was leading himself to this destruction. It seems like Aule assumed it would be worse than it was. I think you're, you're right. Yeah, he was in fear of Eru there. And he was like, oh, well, you know, tell me how to make this right. And Arrow doesn't say anything. He just he goes to smite them, right? But then Arrow never reassures him. And again, that's a very modern sentiment, right? Like, oh, you know, I'm I'm not gonna let you suffer. I'm gonna we're gonna talk it through. We're gonna explain things. We'll you know whatever. So I, I, I get that, but at the same time, you know, I am who I am. Sure. Well, I think that we see that Arrow has a, a little bit of a heart in him in the end. So yes. let's keep going with the story, and we'll keep talking about this as we go. Uh, something I wanted to mention before we go through is there's a line that says that Aule, before Eru came even, Aule began to instruct the dwarves in the speech that he had devised for them. Yes. Isn't that contradictory to the idea that language was a creation of the elves? Um, and didn't, weren't the Valar surprised that there were creatures who had a language and spoke in the way right. that they do? I, yeah. I, I would guess just sort of headcanon and they're kind of telepathic type of beings. Yeah, this could be this could be a um a way that the elves are sort of giving lip service to something that goes against their own propaganda because the Silmarillion mm-hmm. in the end is an elvish text. It's an mm-hmm. elvish history, it's an elvish telling of oh, what happened. Right, right. So maybe the elves are like, "Oh, and they had their language too." <laughs> and it's interesting that, you know, Tolkien, the philologist, um, uh-huh. you know, is playing with language here and, and, and actually calling that out. It's like, oh, I've, 
you know, because uh, I think he said, isn't it, um, isn't he off, or isn't it off quoted that he made the world to fit the languages into, as opposed to making the world and then applying the languages? Sure. He wanted people to use his fake languages. He wanted a reason for them to exist. Right. And so I, th- th- there's just a funny play there with the dwarves and Aule and, and having created this language for them. I don't know. It's just an interesting little thing. So I'm just going to recap what we've already touched on quite a bit. Okay. Eru catches on to Aule and confronts him and his dwarves. He shows Aule that the dwarves lack a will of their own and only do what Aule compels them to. Aule repents and says he only did it out of love for Eru's creation. Then he says he will destroy his creations. As Aule lifts his hammer to destroy the dwarves, they cower in fear, showing that they now have a will of their own. Eru confirms that he has given the dwarves their own will and Eru's breath of life, but he will not change them any further. You're right. So he, and this goes into the, the thing of like, um, uh, there was an interesting line, the children, my adopted children, and then the children of my will. I thought that was a right. very interesting uh, uh, thing. My children by choice. Yes, that's right. That's right. And he's still being the parent, right? And, but he's still making this distinction that like, these are, these are my children, but they're not the children that I created from my will as I created the song that created the world. Right. And because of that, there will be strife between them, right? Mm-hmm. That's said, yeah. too. Yeah. And that's not only said by him, but by sort of Yamana hints at that. Right. Later on. Something that I thought was interesting, too, is that the dwarves are reminiscent of the children of Iluvatar because, you know, elves and men look pretty similar other than, yeah. I guess, the fairness, one might say, or and the ears, which mm. is debatable in the text. That may just be a movie thing. But... um It seems like the dwarves were the way they were, you know, short in stature, bulky, because Aule had a vague idea of what the children would look like, but he didn't have enough information to replicate it perfectly. Right. He knew they were bipedal and had, you know, however many, you know, however many hands and and whatnot, but didn't have enough. And didn't, wasn't that in the, was that in the Ainulindale where they talk about how the... Valar, or maybe it was in the Valaquenta, where they talk about the Valar um, having a piece of er- everybody had a little bit of Eru's song, but it was like only Manway and Melkor who had a much bigger presence. And even then, they didn't really fully know all the plans that Eru had for the children. Here's what I'm picturing mm-hmm. You got a pizza. Okay. Each of the Valar gets a slice. I'm hungry now. But. Manway and Melkor get the whole pizza, but Eru keeps the little tiny table in the middle. <laughs> That's his. <laughs> Got it. Okay. And no one else is getting that little tiny table. That's the children of Iluvatar right it's there. It's a weird analogy, but I, it works. I got it. I got it. I had pizza for dinner tonight, <laughs> so right. it's on the mind. Very good. You were like, huh. You were like, spouse is probably looking at you like, John, what's going on? And you're like, So... I love this adopted children, children by choice thing. It Mm -hmm. really frames this, uh, especially when you see, you know, even in Rings of Power, how attached the dwarves are to Aule, right? They really see him as their father, not Eru. beard. Yep, yep. I also thought it was interesting that um, it's explicitly referenced that because Melkor's still out and about, that Aule made them, you know, tough and stubborn and strong of will to specifically resist um, Melkor's machinations. And so when Sauron comes along, 
like that plays right like how they're not as under control by the rings right you know right they they couldn't be dominated by the rings exactly they you know there's inf- there's definite influence in being pushed and sort of manipulated but just outright and out domination not going to happen right that's a great point that's a great point this is something that will have long-term implications and will allow gimli to be a hero <laughs> son of gloin all right, so Eru will not allow the dwarves to awaken until after his firstborn awake. So the seven dwarf lords are hidden in the deeps. So I thought this was interesting about um, uh, what he did with the, the seven fathers. I think the line is that he um, was at far sundered places. Can, do you have the text at hand? Yeah, so it says, Then Aule took the seven fathers of the dwarves and laid them to rest in far sundered places. So that line, far sundered places, really jumped out at me. And my headcanon was like he put one here and then he put another one way over there. And then he went way down the block and put another one over there. Like they're, they're not all in the same place. They're all not all lined up seven in a row, but they're, they're you know, in different spots throughout the Middle Earth. Throughout Middle Earth. That's correct. That's mm-hmm. correct. And we will see as we go along that dwarves are not a monolithic culture. Right. Dwarves are different depending on where they started mm-hmm. and what peoples they grew up around. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it's a shame. I mean, we don't have a lot of wider, deeper dwarf lore in The Lord of the Rings. I mean, we've only got what we've got, right? So, Right. Well, don't worry. There will be plenty of dwarf lore as we go along. Okay, cool. I'm excited. Me too. So here's some dwarf lore to hold you over. Uh, the dwarves believe that they will eventually be given a place among the children of Iluvatar. So this is another thing sort of where the elves, you know, they have faith that after the end of Arda, they will be given a place somewhere because men are definitely given a place. Mm-hmm. The dwarves hope that they have something similar, right? They hope mm-hmm. that they have that there's a plan after they die rather than just returning to the earth like elves thought that they did. Mm hmm. Then there's another thing where the seven dwarf lords are believed to return to, quote, live again in their own kin and Mm -hmm. to bear once more their ancient names. Dorin being the most famous. Right. And where did we see Dorin? Uh, Well, in the uh, Rings of Power. Exactly. Right. We saw two Dorins, actually. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that's why that's a popular name is that people, you know, there's, it's used more than the reincarnation is supposed to happen. But the idea is like, you know, at some point there's going to be a Doran who's really Doran. That's right, that's really right. that father of the dwarves. Well, and I think, yeah, in some, in some co- various cultures, um, naming your children after the prophet, uh, different prophets is a, is, is a, a thing, right? Like you want to hopefully bring some of that to your children. Right. By naming them such. I thought that this was interesting too. The well in the audiobook, it's a really nice passage uh, when when he's reading it about being set aside in the halls of Mandos, and mm-hmm. you know, they will be uh, um, what do they say? Uh, something Arrow will uh, basically acknowledge them or bless yeah, them. Yeah, they'll they'll come back to fight in the last battle. Remember, we've got an apocalypse coming, right? We've got some kind of uh, end times battle coming with Melkor. Yeah, and that was <laughs> that was the other thing was is like oh we can't. Cannot skip that the rebuilding of the world, right? This coming to the end and then rebuilding it, and yeah, and 
everybody will get to, you know, fight uh, again and rebuild. And oh, yeah, there'll be, I think, hallowed. What does he say? Hallowed to help Eru build the next world or something? Yeah, something like that. You know, it's funny that <laughs> it seems like Tolkien just out of nowhere will go, also, there's an apocalypse. Yes. <laughs> really, you dropped it in right here at the end. You're just right. Like, oh. Yeah, it, it really is out of nowhere sometimes. He's just mm. like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we'll be back for that. Right. So will men, so will elves. You know, we're all going to come back for that. That's the greatest hits. So why don't we take a quick break? When we get back, we're going to talk about Yavanna. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. And we're back. So we're ready to talk about Yavanna. This is the spouse of Aule. Mm-hmm. Yavanna, remember, is in charge of nature. She is Radagast's boss. She is in charge of the little birds and the bees and the, and the sycamore trees. You know, every, everything on the earth. And she loves it. She's very peaceful. And she gets very upset when those things are disturbed. Mm-hmm. So Aule... King of the dwarves, he comes in and he goes, hey, Ivana, um, yeah, so I did something, and it might have been bad, but it turned out okay. Eru came, it's, we're all cool now, but it, uh, I did put our entire existence in jeopardy, our entire standing with Eru in jeopardy. And Ivana goes, you know what, I, I see why you're relaxed now, because not only did you get forgiven, but, you know, things got, things got better. You have your children now, you have real children now. Mm-hmm. But she also says that there will be strife between his children and her creations because he hid it from her. So this is something that I think reminds me of something that Marilyn said. It's not a Tolkien podcast without a mention of Marilyn, so I'll bring her in here. (laughs) That's true. She was saying that there's this idea in Tolkien, and I can't remember the name of it, where beings, especially holy beings, especially elves and certain Numenorians, will open each other to their minds a bit, right? Like, I will I will project my thoughts to you. Right. And I can tell if you're withholding, I think, if, that, if, if I remember right. Right. So, I think that Yavanna here had been able to tell that Outlay was withholding while mm-hmm. he was making the dwarves. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he opened up again, and she's just overjoyed. And that's what we're seeing here. Right. But she says... But there is a consequence here, which is that because you and I couldn't intermingle, couldn't share our thoughts during this time, they're always going to struggle with my creations. Right. Thy children will have little love for the things of my love. They will love first the things made by their own hands, as doth their father. They will delve in the earth, and the things that grow and live upon the earth they will not heed. Many a tree shall feel the bite of their iron without pity. Ah, such a good line. Such a good yeah. line. But then Alice says, well, so will the other ones. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but those will too. <laughs> yeah, so there's going to be others who are going to come, the children of Iluvatar, which were always part of the plan, right. and they're going to just need stuff too, and they're going to destroy your nature too. Um, I thought that this was a really interesting thing. At first, the first time I read it, it was like, wait, is she cursing him? Or uh, is, is she no. cursing his children? But then you realize, no, 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 what, what's happening is, she's like, yo, because we didn't work together on this, right? there's going to be an imbalance here with this thing. And I really, and if you take that a step back further, all of the Vala working together to sing their different parts, like a big symphony would to play a single piece of music. Like, you were out of sync or out of tune with me, and so now there's going to be a discordant note in, in creation. Um, and that's, like, normal and natural, right, for, for life to not be in sync. We're not living in the perfect realm of, of you know, not the Earth. Um, but I really liked this construction that when you step back and you think, oh, yeah, because I was uh, closed off, maybe a little stingy, I was afraid, I was sharing for whatever reasons that I withheld, now that's going to have a consequence, and it's going to have a very long-ranging consequence. And this is somebody who didn't even go the worst of the worst, right? Like, he mm-hmm. he really is sort of the polar opposite of Melkor in his desire to be Eru, right. because right. Aule seeks to emulate the creation of Eru out of love for Eru and out of love for creation, whereas Melkor seeks the power of Eru mm-hmm. to distort creation and to destroy creation. And Sauron wants to dominate creation. Right. Instead of giving something a will, which is what Aule wanted and wasn't able to do without Eru, Sauron wants to take away the will of people. Sauron wants to enforce his own will on people. So this is a a weird segue, but I think it might work. Sauron's like the Empire in the Star Wars world. He's trying to create, you know, like... Okay. I just watched, um, I was just rewatching The Mandalorian for our upcoming coverage. So there, there's a great uh, um, soliloquy, if you will, by Werner Herzog uh, when he's talking to the Mandalorian about, like, is it better that the Empire is no longer here? Look outside, it's just chaos and death, you know, and we tried to bring order and, you know, uh, um, and peace to the, you know, to the realm, and you guys just keep fighting us and it just makes things worse. So I kind of think, I'm wondering, is Sauron like the, the Emperor here? Like, he wants peace and order in the world. He wants to control things and dominate them so that there is no strife. That's an interesting point. That's an interesting point. I think we should save that for when Sauron comes more into play, but I think okay. that that is something to mull over for sure. Yeah. yeah. A fun crossover. I mean, we're podcasting about these various uh, properties, you know, might as well you know, sort of cross-fertilize them. Yeah, there's definitely some some Tolkien influence on Star Wars. I'm not going to say there was Star Wars influence on Tolkien because he was not involved <laughs> yeah, in that. Obvious, but uh, yeah, but I mean, Tolkien is enormously influential on pretty much all of science fiction and fantasy. Right, exactly. Tolkien's too. Yep. So Yavanna is nervous for her creations, especially trees, and she confirms with Manway that the children of Iluvatar will have dominion over her creations. Manwe asks Yavanna what she values the most of her creations. She replies, all have their worth, and each contributes to the worth of others. But then she favors the trees anyway. So I wanted to ask you about this um, Kelvar and Olvar, um, things that can flee or defend themselves, whereas the Olvar that 
grow cannot. It's basically fauna versus flora. Okay, that's what I right. that's what I assumed from the text without looking yeah. at the words. Yeah, I, I think it might be in Quenya, but I'm not totally sure. So don't write in about it. <laughs> easy, easy. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it's it's basically just animals, you know, moving things versus plants. Right. I think I, that's what I kind of gathered from from the context of of the words. Um, right. But that that makes sense. And I love this line: um, "Long in the growing, swift shall they be in the felling." And unless they pay toll with fruit upon bow, little mourning in their passing. What an elegant construction of a sentence. So good. Pay toll with fruit upon bow. Like, ah, that just is so evocative and tonally just great. I just love uh, how he uses uh, this construction to, you know, impart this idea that if a tree isn't productive, if something in nature isn't productive for children's, and we can sort of carry that, cross that back over to us, you know, human beings in the primary world, like, if it's not productive, then what value is it to us? Well, if it's not a value, then, you know, quick to the axe, right? Yeah. Well, Yovana has this idea. She has this funny idea where he says, she says to Manway, what if the trees could defend themselves? Mm-hmm. What if there were some protectors among the trees? Manway says, that's pretty weird, Yavana. That's, that's not something that I <laughs> know was, about. This is a strange thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> says Manway. That is weird. And she goes, well, it was in the music the whole time, so why don't you check yourself, mm-hmm. Manway? Yeah. And Manway then goes deep into his mind. You know, yeah, he, right. he meditates and becomes one with Eru. And Eru was like, oh, yeah, that was there the whole time. I heard everything. Don't worry about it. So Manway comes back and says, oh, yeah, there were, there were Ents there the whole time. Right. I just didn't hear him. I didn't see him. All right. So this is a fascinating thing, right? Because this means that Manway, who is the one with all of the pieces of Eru's mind, who mm-hmm. should know pretty much everything except maybe things about the children, he needs to recall pieces of the plan. He can't just mm. – he's not mm. – a person with a perfect memory. Mm-hmm. He needs to be reminded of things. He needs to he needs to rely on Eru and needs to rely on the artists to aid him in an interpretation of the plan. So where are where are you going with that? Because I think you could you could draw some some parallels out of that. So I think that this is sort of Tolkien saying these sub-creators have value to their sub-creations mm-hmm. in the plan. And, you know, I think, I think it's, again, he's defending his own work. Like, I'm being mm. a sub-creator. I'm doing something that is part of the bigger creation by making mm-hmm. my world. Mm. And I think that the interpretation of creation, of God's will, requires the interpretation and the input of the sub-creators. And then I think what something that I'm picking up in this is you got to go back to the source. Check in right. with the source, make sure that you're dealing with the facts or or you know or or what's really there and then come back out and interpret and create and and do whatever, but make sure that you cuz if you're going to deviate or you're going to add to or you're going to try to create something new, it's always in relation to the original source material. So don't discount the source material, go deep into it, and then bring forth something that maybe wasn't seen before or wasn't noticed before. 
you got to go line by line here, guys. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're going to miss something. Right. I think that's, that's part of the point. I wonder, too, with the Rings of Power, like we, there was a, you know, as we're not going to recap season one again, but it was a mixed bag for us, right? There was some stuff that was really on point, and then there was stuff that seemed to stray. Right. And I don't wonder, the stuff that seemed to stray is where they, you know, the, the showrunners seem to really know their Tolkien and, uh, you know, very deeply. Um, but then there's pressures of production, of the studio, of financing, of keeping all your cast and your crew together when everybody's got crazy schedules, never mind, you know, global pandemics and things. And so it's easy for this whole production to veer if they're not constantly checking in with the source in some way. And there's so many gaps in Tolkien, right? And so they've got to make up and interpret some stuff. Um, that's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. It's a really tricky thing to, to stay true, but then to also create fresh. Yeah. Um, let's see if they will successfully interpret Tolkien's world. Mm-hmm. And that is all I will say about that. Stick around. <laughs> for the Rings of Power season two. We'll see how we feel about it. Right. Hey, I wanted to ask you too, before we move on, when Manway comes down from his little vision quest thing and sits down next to her, next to the two trees, he addresses her as O Kementari. Mm-hmm. Um, was, I, I, obviously that's some sort of like intimate name uh, or friendly name that, you know, that she has. But what is uh, Kementari actually mean? Yeah, it means queen of the earth or earth queen. It is, oh, okay. uh, I, be, I believe Mother it may nature. be Quenya. So, so a lot uh-huh. of the names that we see given as honorifics are names that the elves later gave to the Valar. And again, these are elvish ridden histories. So it, it, they're making up the dialogue, guys. They're not, it's not supposed to be a one for one. <laughs> We're watching it with the camera in the background. Right. This is the elves sort of writing out mythology, right? And that's why as you go further into the Silmarillion, as the elves start to appear, Things start to get more detailed, right? Okay, cool. I just love the. Uh, I love the, the again the the language here. Oh, Kimitari, you're right. Eru hath spoken, and I was like, oh, that's a that's a cute <laughs> that's an interesting name. Yeah. So I have one more plot point, which is that Yavanna gloats to Outlay, who replies, "This knee slapper. Nonetheless, they shall have need of wood." Yeah, right. Because Yavanna says, "Well, you know, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have." ends to protect my trees so your dwarves (laughs) are gonna have a hard time and he's like well shrug nonetheless they're gonna have need of wood right and then he ends the chapter and he went on with his smith work (laughs) (laughs) just like all right i mean it's funny because you think of thangorn right where where gimli is Mm. is like oh god the trees are around me yeah we're in trouble it's just funny how this is going to be a long-standing thing where the children of aule and the creations of yavana are just going at it forever um really quickly too back in this um we get some insight into the eagles so um, Yavanna's like, oh, cool. Well, I'm so happy that I'm going to make a, make a great place for the eagles to hang out. And then uh, Manway goes from who grows sort of in stature and says, no, they're actually going to live up in the mountains and they can hear the voices. Um, but in the forest shall walk the shepherds of the trees. So that, I thought that was a really interesting construction there where eagles flying around off of, you know, these cliffs and high mountains. And then, you know, you get this vision of, of, of tree right. shepherds. Turns out they're going to go with Aule. 
Turns out they're going to go with his creation, yeah. but that's okay because we're going to have the shepherds of the tree. We're we're going to have the ants. Wait, no. So did she think that she was getting eagles, or did she she not yet know that she was getting? I, I think she shepherds. wanted both. I think that she wanted oh, the ants plus the eagles. Uh, okay. Got it. And then Manway's like, no, the eagles yeah. are mine. I got to use them for my eyes and ears around yeah, the world. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think that she thought she was going to have possession of them. I think what I read it as, and I could be wrong, but what I read it as was, uh-huh. thank you for confirming that I'm going to get my ants. Don't worry. I'm still creating. I'll make trees that are good enough for your eagles to sit in. That's my, that's what and I thought. And then yeah. Manway goes, thanks, but no thanks. I've got mountains. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's what I got. Okay, cool. All right. Well, any other thoughts on this chapter before we move on? No, I just, like I said at the, at the top, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a fun read. I didn't feel intimidated by it. Uh, it was very accessible and very relatable. Uh, and the language and some of the constructions were just tickled. You know, they tickled me. I was like, oh, that's so cute. That's just really a, uh, cute, Tolkien cute, whatever. <laughs> um, the, what I'm trying to say is, is that I was really enamored with the way that Tolkien used language to tell this story. I, I, and so... It really added to my right. enjoyment. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a fun chapter. It's short, and so is this podcast, because, you know, there's just less plot to talk about. But <laughs> never fear, because next month, I believe, is going to be a dense one. Yeah. So, why don't we get into some listener feedback? So, I think we've only got one listener feedback this week. David, do you want to read Courtney's email? Sure. And it's not even uh, similarly <laughs> related nece- uh, necessarily, but Courtney from Texas. Hi, Courtney. She says, hi, guys. Just curious if you saw the Lord of the Rings Lego set announced this week. If so, anyone dropping cash on that? Looks really cool and lots of fun minifigures. Rumor is Baradur is set next year, which sounds awesome. Thanks for the great content. Thanks, Courtney. Um, I don't know. John, are you a Lego person? Are you going to be dropping some cash? On I mean, set? I like looking at Legos, but I don't like spending $500. It's $500. $500? It looks amazing. Like, it's huge. But oh it is $500, Lord. so I will not be dropping cash on this. That is a um, a set that's targeted at a particular demographic. I'll tell you what. If we get to 500 <laughs> patrons, I will uh-huh. buy the set and make it on stream. Okay. <laughs> All right. Market. Market. And it has Everybody to be done before this goes off market. I'm not going on eBay later. <laughs> I was trying to, what is this uh, set called? Rivendell. That is a gorgeous look. Oh, man, look at all those um, uh, statuary figures yeah. there. Uh, oh, man, that is amazing. I wonder if the shards of Narsal are in there. I mean, it looks great. You're right. That would be cool. I just don't want to yeah. spend $500. And does that look, let's, let's zoom in. Is that Aragorn and Arwen getting married? Yeah, or 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 I not getting so. married, but like embracing. Well, there's the hobbits. Yeah, they're down there in the front, front left. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's Bilbo. Very cool. Like I said, five hundred cool. patrons. Six thousand pieces. I'll, I'll do a I'll do a live stream of me putting it together. <laughs> do it as long as it takes. I like how they have. They have an adult. Oh, there is there is a shard of Narsal in this. It's if you scroll down on the next image. Oh wow. Oh, man, that is so cool. Um, and I love how they have an adult uh, putting this together and not a kid. So it's <laughs> clearly from oh, my yeah. box, this is not a child. Listen, adult sure. Legos are a huge thing. It is no longer just a kid's thing. 
Yeah, because we grew up with them. So right, I built I built uh, when I was a kid. I did ha- uh, Hagrid's hut from Harry Potter. Uh-huh. That was my big one. I was very oh, proud very cool. of myself with it. And then uh, I did not want to spend money on other ones, so I stopped with Legos. Back in back in our day, we just had vats of Legos, and you just made your own things. We got kits, but they were few and far between. And you just had vats of shapes, and you had to build your own. Well, now stuff. you go up and down the aisles. They got they got Lord of the Rings. They got Star Wars. Star oh, Wars Lego is like a whole other game. Oh yeah, and and the, with the TV spinoff, I mean that's yeah, that's just on ramping for the franchise. Yep. Well, all right. I think that's fun for that feedback. Again, not so yeah, really thanks, related. Courtney. Yes, thank you, Courtney. Now, if any of our listeners want to write in for next month, make sure you send it into lotr at thelorehounds.com, or you can leave us a voicemail over at thelorehounds.com slash contact. We'd love to hear from you, especially the voicemails are pretty fun. I feel like that feels more interactive, right? Yeah. So we're uh, next chapter is going to be of the coming of L's and the captivity of Melkor. Is that right? Yes, and I'm excited for it. We okay. basically talked about this subject before uh-huh. when we did Chapter 3 of The Second Age, but we're going to go a little deeper this time. Okay. I'm going to not go deep into the nature of Middle-earth, which is what I use to supplement a lot of that, because those were a lot of really interesting details, but I want to stick to the Silmarillion here. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about sort of how Tolkien approached the elves, how he how he came to this idea. We're going to get really deep into Elflor this next time. I really want to um, encourage people, too, to write in for this one, because I think it would be fun to have some more uh, feedback to work our way through the chapter and use that as some framing devices. Sure. So if you guys uh, out there in listener land feel up for it, definitely send us in. Ta- send us in your uh, little bit longer takes, too. Um, and we can break them up and we can use them as framing devices for our conversation. Yeah. We love to hear from you. Yep. We always do. All right, John, I think it's time for our Patreon shout out. Um, as you know, we have a Patreon to uh, help uh, to, so that people can help support uh, what we're doing. And thank you to all of our subscribers. Uh, it makes a really big difference materially for us to have that support. And then just to know that, you know, we're delivering something that people like, you know, that that people are enjoying and, and feel like they want to support. Every time we get a new subscriber and John and I get our emails on our phones, it's kind of like a cool little boost. Yeah. For our lore masters, which are our highest tier, we like to give everybody a shout out who subscribes at that level. And the ranks are growing. Your The, the lore master army is, is getting stronger by the day. So we have Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., and our newest lore master, SC. Thank you all for being the highest tier lore master patrons. Really, it's, it's a great honor, and it makes a big difference for us. So thank you. Yes, thank you all. SC, it was a fun time to see that you signed up during our Last of Us recording. And yes. we got to add you in minutes before we read these shout outs. That's right. All right. So, John, we uh, talked at the top that, you know, we've, um, we've changed up our, our uh, publishing system and we've got sort of more control over when we can publish and how we publish and, and the different ideas. We sort of got a little bit more creative room to maneuver. And we've got things coming up. Do you want to talk about our next big project with Marilyn? Sure. Big fans of Marilyn on this feed because 
She's been around our Rings of Power and Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion stuff all the time. But we're doing a new project with her, not Tolkien related, and that's we're calling The Book Nook. And in this book nook, we'll be covering A Wizard of Earthsea, along with the rest of the Earthsea cycle, but at first, just A Wizard of Earthsea, uh, by Ursula K. Le Guin. It is an excellent book. It is very short. You can get through it in a couple days if you if you put your mind to it. And we are going to have a great time with it. We're going to talk about it in detail. We're going to do a non-spoiler part. We're going to do a spoilery part. Sometime in March, it's coming out. We're really looking forward to releasing that. Yeah, so stay tuned for dates when we have that. We're in our pre-planning. Our, we did our pre-pre-planning, and now we got to do our pre-planning and uh, get lined up with Marilyn and, and figure out what we're going to do. But um, I found my original copy of the book, and I've just <laughs> fell down a big nostalgia hole reading it. I've been really enjoying it. So it, like John said, it's a, uh, a very short book, but it's very elegantly written. And it's uh, written in 1968. So again, it's another cornerstone in the fantasy genre. Right. So we've also got The Last of Us over on HBO, Loving which is an amazing show. show. Yeah. It's just an ex- incredible experience. If you're not watching it, start watching it, please. It's so good. Join us over on that feed, uh, which is also this feed, by the way. But join us over on that show. Then we also have on March 1st, The Mandalorian Season 3. In case you didn't have enough of Pedro Pascal, now he's in a mess. (laughs) That's right. Two shows, two different networks. We're going to have a great time here. Yeah, We're going to be doing full coverage on that as well. And we're going to be doing a season preview podcast. So get your emails into StarWarsAtTheLoreHounds.com right away. Or again, leave us a voicemail at TheLoreHounds.com slash contact. I've been rushing my way through seasons one and two of uh, of Mandalorian to get ready, and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be good. I mean, season two had a lot of consequence to it in the storyline, and I think uh, um, season three looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope so, especially because we have Ahsoka coming up. So right. this is this is the time where the Filoni verse is growing. I just watched the Ahsoka episode the other night. It was so good. That was like I think the best episode of the batch was the Ahsoka episode. All right. Well, speaking of batches, we also have the Bad Batch. We cover that every now and then. We are uh, we already released our season two, one through five episodes, uh, and we are going to be doing at least a season wrap up on that. So the Bad Batch is doing well this season. We'll see you over there. David, do you want to talk about MC Universe and what's going on with that? Yeah, unfortunately, Jean and I recorded a full episode. We didn't find out till much later that we had some uh, severe audio problems that made our recording unusable. And now we're trying to get synced up, uh, but real life schedules are keeping us apart. So we're not going to make our episode ahead of, well, the Ant-Man will have come out by the time this podcast comes out. So we're a little bit delayed. So we're going to be playing catch up with the Ant-Man and, and season five stuff. But it's coming. Jean and I are just working out our schedules. All right. One more note. We are going to be doing some kind of coverage of Ted Lasso season three. We're not sure what it's going to look like yet, but we're really excited to talk about it. I love Ted Lasso. It's such a feel good show. And yet it has a lot of heart and a lot of depth. So stick around on this feed for that one. I think season three is going to be a little bit meatier, too. I I have a Mm. feeling that it's going to be not just a tongue in cheek thing, but it's going to actually be dealing with some real issues. Season two did that, too. I mean... Yeah, it did. Season two was pretty heavy at times. Podcasting can be hard to... Doing comedy coverage of... uh, Doing podcasting coverage of comedy TV shows can be difficult at times. But I think this is going to have enough substance that we definitely are going to do some more fuller coverage of it. Yep, for sure. 
Do you want to talk about our podcasting peers, David? Yeah, well, we've got Maester Anthony is continuing with his read of uh, read through of Clash of Kings, and we were just on his podcast, so go back and check it. It dropped last Thursday. We did a uh, read through of Theon's chapter where he returns the Pike. We had a great time talking with Anthony. A lot of fun. He's invited us back again. So we're going to be reading chapter 19 with him. It's an Arya chapter, and that should drop in April, and we'll keep everybody um, uh, up to date on that. And then um, we invited him to come on Silmarillion Stories, and he agreed. And so he's going to be joining us in June when we get to Of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor. Doesn't that sound really exciting? (laughs) Anthony was really excited to cover that one, so we're excited to have him over. It's a good chapter. Yeah, very cool. Feanor did nothing wrong. Keep that in mind. (laughs) Isn't that a meme? It is a meme. That's why I'm bringing it up. Some people will laugh at that. I think that's it for today. Remember to check out our Patreon. Uh, You could subscribe and get uh, early and free access, and you help us with our production. We've got more plans in the works for even more coverage, so stay tuned on that. And always, as always, like, rate, and review if you have a chance. If you want to chat with us and other like-minded community members, or unlike-minded community members, (laughs) check out our Discord. Link is in the show notes and on the contact page at thelorehounds.com. Remember, next up on the Silmarillion stories, uh, that's going to drop around the 27th of March, and we're going to be talking about the coming of elves and the captivity of Melkor. Well, I had fun today, David. I think we uh, are really getting into the meat now of the Silmarillion. I I miss talking Tolkien more frequently. I know. Well, hopefully we can do that soon. Hopefully Rings of Power comes back before we know it. That's right. All right, everybody. Thanks very much. See you next time. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.